Chapter Thirty Four of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Thirty Four. Good Samaritans. For many weary days and nights, the patient fluctuates between improvement and retrogression. The business is a long one, as Mr. Scalpel prophesied. Alexis approaches that mysterious borderland which lies between life and death. Mind and memory are dark. He sees shadowy forms at his bedside, sees the unreal more often than the real, knows not where he is or what he is and slowly wakening at last as from one long troubled dream a dream of almost infinite duration and of wondrous variety he feels like a child newborn to life seeking dimly to decipher the unknown characters of a strange alphabet who is this with the gentle face the mild and thoughtful eyes shadowy hair and soft white hands who ministers to him so patiently whose voice has such a soothing influence is it his wife a flash of sudden hope quickens the throbbing of his heart he tries to raise himself up in his bed when a strong hand restrains him and a familiar voice says alexis dear old fellow be careful mr scalpel says you mustn't exert yourself it is no longer winter the lattices are open and through the tender green of the willows smiles the blue april sky birds are singing there is a perfume of violets in the room blessed heralds of spring yes there they are violets and primroses on the dressing-table violets and primroses on the little table by his bed oh welcome spring welcome sense of new created life in his own frame it was good of you to come to me he murmurs with half-closed eyes good of you to nurse me all forgotten all forgiven we shall be very happy now sibyl he thinks his wife is at his side melancholy delusion which makes richard plowden very uncomfortable my dear alexis he says soothingly it is not sibyl we didn't know where to send for her the lady who has nursed you was a stranger to you until the day of your accident but if she had been your sister she could not have done more alexis closes his eyes with a heavy sigh she is very good he murmurs resignedly and i have reason to be grateful i took her for my wife a foolish mistake i ought to have known better but i am afraid my mind has been wandering a little he turns restlessly on his pillow, opens his eyes again, and looks wonderingly around. Violets, he exclaims, how good of you to get me violets at this time of year. What a blue sky for February. February, cries Richard, my dear fellow, it is the 19th of April. April? And I have been lying here a little over two months. Alexis feels inexpressibly shocked at this revelation what the days and nights have been passing sunrise and sunset moons waning and he's been lying there like a log or like a madman 
full of strange fancies and unconscious of the flight of time this loss of two months seems to him in some wise terrible it is as if he had been lying dead i suppose i have been very ill he says at last very ill dear boy so near death's door that we have often feared the door would open and you would pass the threshold thank heaven we were able to keep you fast on this side you have to thank miss chalice for your life there never was such a nurse you forget that you've done more than half the nursing mr plowden remonstrates linda who sits with her face somewhat shrouded by the dimity bed curtain i-nothing of the kind i've tried to obey your instructions but at best i'm a clumsy assistant you are the best of fellows says alexis stretching out his feeble hand to clasp his friends as for miss chalice he continues i haven't the faintest idea who she is or how she comes to be interested in me but i'm intensely grateful he falls asleep after this and slumbers peacefully for some hours when he awakes it is tea-time the lattices are closed and a young moon shines in through the diamond panes the fire burns cheerfully in the old-fashioned fireplace opposite the foot of the bed firelight and moonbeams shine into the room flashes of silver and gleams of ruddy gold light up the old furniture the cups and saucers and the old silver teapot on the round table by the fire they shine too on a quiet figure by the hearth the graceful form of a girl dressed in grey who has fallen asleep in an old bamboo armchair by the hearth that's miss what's her name i suppose alexis says to himself curious business very where am i i wonder this hardly looks like the grange he tries to raise himself into a sitting position in order the better to inspect the premises process is painful enough to wring a groan from him and the groan awakens his nurse you mustn't do that says the gentle voice which has argued and pleaded with him so often in his delirium but which seems quite unknown to him to-night you mustn't try to sit up yet a while not yet a while repeats alexis i've been ill over two months and i'm getting better i believe you will i am getting better you are much better you are getting well very fast oh this is getting well very fast is it and after two months i am not to try to raise myself in bed do you know it strikes me that's getting well rather slowly oh you mustn't be impatient the injury to your ribs brought on inflammation of the lungs you've been in great danger and you a stranger have nursed me not a stranger providence brought you to our door you are our neighbour which of these think you murmurs alexis yes you have been verily my neighbour in the gospel sense of the word how shall i ever thank you enough miss chalice says linda as he pauses at a loss for the name believe me mr secretan i need no thanks my grandfather and i are very happy to have been of use to you dick plowden says you've saved my life where is dick by the way he's gone to lie down for a short time he has had very little rest of late poor fellow and now shall i give you some tea yes if you would be so good i should like some tea 
she pours out a cup and brings it to him and raises his head upon the heaped-up pillows which sustain his weary frame and puts the cup to his lips it is a curious sensation for him this awakening to life curious to look into this strange face in the uncertain firelight to hear this gentle voice to feel the soft touch of these white womanly hands if this were but my wife it would indeed be awakening to new life and new happiness he thinks and the thought that another can so minister to him while his wife treads her selfish way ignorant of his pain is very bitter i think i could hold the teacup myself he says and he makes the attempt feebly with a tremulous hand capital exclaims linda how strong you are getting oh this is getting strong is it inquires alexis i should like to have seen myself when i was weak i must have been a pleasing spectacle he falls asleep by and by in the firelight and sleeps long for he has at this stage of his illness a wonderful capacity for sleep when he awakes the fire is burning low and the dim glimmer of a night lamp suggests some sepulchral hour betwixt night and morning richard plowden occupies the easy chair by the fire where is miss miss chalice asks the invalid in bed and sound asleep i hope she has sat up night after night to watch you alex she's very good she is an angel or as near an approach to the angelic as one can hope to meet with upon earth replies richard with enthusiasm who is she dick and by what concatenation of events do i find myself in a strange house watched over by a strange young lady richard explains indeed this is dorley mill and my fair nurse is the miller's granddaughter if i were a bachelor now this might be the opening scene of a charming romance but i should have taken that young lady for something superior to a miller's granddaughter she has an air of refinement she belongs by inheritance to the world of art her father was a painter chalice yes i remember i have seen pictures of his he died young i think he did and left this young lady an orphan mr secretan finding himself able to sit up in bed and hold a glass or a cup during the next two or three days shows great anxiety to be taken back to the grange he's anxious to resume the business of life to see his horses his gardens to be within reach of his library he is quite horrified when mr scalpel informs him that he is likely to be obliged to remain at dorley mill for three weeks or a month before he will be strong enough to bear the shaking involved in the easiest journey you need not be in a hurry to leave says the surgeon you have been well taken care of i'm sure i should be an ungrateful hound if i were to forget that for a moment replies alexis but i should really like to relieve this house of my presence i have given so much trouble that is all past says linda our only trouble was the fear that you would not recover mr benfield must consider me an intolerable nuisance he does nothing of the kind says dick he is looking forward to your going downstairs as if it were some grand holiday 
Alexis sighs. The comforts and indulgences of a sick room pall upon his active temperament. But he resigns himself to the inevitable, and Linda and Richard do their utmost to make his life happy. Now that bodily strength begins to slowly return, he suffers from extreme mental depression. He feels as if this coming back to life were something of a mistake, that it might have been better to have slipped quietly through the dark portal. He feels that he has nothing to live for, neither wife nor child. No kith nor kin, only the beaten round of a prosperous man's existence. I who have tasted the bitter cup of poverty ought to find contentment in prosperity, he tells himself. But as the days lengthen slowly to their lingering close, he is not content. He is dreadfully low-spirited, says Dick to his assistant nurse. What are we to do to cheer him up a little? Linda sighs and looks doubtful. But in the course of the afternoon, she brings up some of her favorite books, Shakespeare, Tennyson, Dickens, and offers to read to the invalid. He is delighted. Any relief is welcome that will take him away from his own thoughts. He chooses the Midsummer Night's Dream, and Linda reads at his bidding. We'll have one of the tragedies when I'm stronger, he says. I couldn't stand Hamlet or Lear yet a while. From this time forward, the reading becomes an institution. Linda is a good reader, her voice round and full, her emphasis always intelligent. Alexis makes a closer acquaintance with Tennyson than he has ever made before now, and renews his boyish delight in Dickens. In about a week after that first reading, he is well enough to go downstairs to the cheerful parlor, but not without support from Richard's sustaining arms. There is no longer any talk of his going back to the Grange yet a while. He knows his own weakness now and is resigned to the tedium of a slow recovery. You are all so good to me, he says with tears in his eyes. I should be a fool to wish myself away from you. It is a sunny afternoon in early May when he goes downstairs for the first time. Linda has done her uttermost to make the room bright and cheerful. There are flowers, sweet spring flowers on the chimney piece, table, and chiffonier, violets, primroses, hyacinths, narcissus, pale monthly roses from the southern wall. A fire burns gaily in the old-fashioned grate, for the invalid is chilly and may sunshine uncertain the invalid's couch has been arranged in the coziest corner by the fire snow-white pillows berlin wool coverlet knitted by linda's own hands as a christmas present for her grandfather the brown wainscot walls are brightened with watercolor landscapes in a higher style of art than alexis would have expected to find at dorley mill but he learns by and by that they are all the work of linda's pencil what a pretty room cries alexis when he is established on his sofa and what a pretty picture that watermill makes against the blue sky i feel ever so much better for the change he enjoys the novelty of the apartment as much as if he had come into a new country and his spirits begin to rise immediately now i feel that i am really getting well he says it is three o'clock in the afternoon Mr. Benfield is to come in at five to tea, and there is to be quite a grand tea-drinking in honour of Mr. Secretan's convalescence. 
the simple-hearted old man is almost as delighted at his guest's recovery as if the squire of Chesle were his son linda seats herself in her favourite chair by the open window dick places himself by the foot of the couch the invalid lies in a lazy silence looking out at the windows and the mill stream and the green hills beyond how lovely nature seems to him after his nights of pain and darkness presently he hears a small voice calling mammy and a small hand makes ineffectual attempts to turn the handle of the door linda runs to the door and the prettiest child alexis ever remembers to have seen runs into the room he has soft golden curls all over his small head rosy cheeks bold brown eyes and the open confiding look of a child that has been reared in love's tender keeping he clings to linda's dress mammy mammy dear he cries trot wants oo trot nenner see oo now oo visty gentleman the gentleman has been very ill darling and he wanted me more than trot does oo tell tory trot want oo all vis you had elizabeth to take care of you pet elizabeth is very kind she isn't me hate lithabess oh you naughty boy look trot this is the sick gentleman go and shake hands me won't me hate the gentleman oh trot cause he keeps oo away from trot but he won't do that any more trot says alexis delighted with this infantile grumbler come to me my little man and let's make friends see what i've got here and alexis produces his watch that unfailing resource of a man who wants to amuse a child at the sight of the watch and jingling bunch of lockets and seals the little one's eyes open their widest and he creeps a little nearer the enemy i don't like oo he says but i'll look at oor watch with this protest he goes up close to alexis and allows himself to be entertained what a darling little fellow says alexis a nephew of yours i suppose miss chalice no he is no relation he is a little boy my grandfather adopted how good of him the son of an old friend i conclude no we adopted him to save him from the workhouse oh that is like you just as you took me in to save me from death alexis does not like to ask any further questions yet he would be glad to know more about this fascinating little fellow who soon grows friendly and familiar and nestles his golden head in the invalid's waistcoat and plays with the seals and lockets presently the miller comes in to tea and the table is spread with a simple feast new lane eggs cream cakes of linda's manufacture and strawberry jam which elizabeth the maid of all work secretly believes to be the best strawberry jam in hampshire trot sits up in his high chair at the table and behaves very prettily though he disposes of more bread and jam and follows it up with more cake than alexis can suppose beneficial to his eternal economy but then mr secretan has seen very little of children and their ways 
henceforth trot is a wonderful favourite with him he allows the little fellow to come into his room at all times and seasons he sends dick to winchester for a cargo of picture books and trot sits upon the invalid's bed for hours together looking at the pictures and demanding explanations thereof when the pictures have been explained to trot by alexis trot insists on explaining them over again to the explainer and lays down the law about them and philosophizes upon them in a delightful way never before has alexis had any dealings with a child it is a new experience to him the little fellow amuses him for hours together the thought that his own son might have grown into just such a boy as this seems a bond of union between him and trot the boy grows wondrous fond of him and places him second only to mammy in his measures of love have you had trot long alexis asked one day of linda ever since he was a fortnight old what a charge for you his parents are dead of course i know nothing about his parents indeed poor little waif and stray if you were not so very fond of him i should beg him of you and make him my son and heir i couldn't bear to part with him you are not in earnest of course but even if you were and offered him the greatest advantages i don't think i could bring myself to part with him i've suffered so much for his sake perhaps that is why i love him so dearly suffered but how pray do not ask me i cannot possibly tell you it is all past and gone now and i try to forget it but it was very bitter this sets alexis thinking and the thoughts that come of it trouble him he sees but one solution of the enigma and that is one which casts the shadow of disgrace on linda chalice can she this gentle lovable girl with her fair innocent face be something less pure and perfect than he has believed her the suspicion pains him as keenly as if she were his sister or his plighted wife he lies awake for many a weary hour pondering over this painful question for a little while even his heart turns from poor trot who is distressed at finding his new friend less kind but trot soon makes himself beloved again whatever misery this little brown-eyed boy may have unconsciously occasioned alexis cannot help loving him End of chapter thirty four